Good afternoon, everyone. I will call the meeting to order. Um, it's July 10th, the meeting of the Human Resources Committee, and I did hear from Joe DeVries. He's going to be a little bit late. So um, with that, can we have a roll call? Joe DeVries, Trustee DeVries is not here. Trustee Hernandez? Here. Trustee Jensen? Here. Trustee Peterson? Here. We have a quorum. Thank you. And um, I'll, I, as I get out my agenda, um, I'll... I'll ask if everyone has had a chance to look at the minutes. I have. And if so, was that the first thing on the agenda? I move to approve. I second. And I agree. So the minutes are adopted. And then, so I pull up NASDAQ board. Is it, is it Tony? Is Tony the next item on the it agenda? Is. Okay. Thank you, I'm up. Tony. So the, the first item uh, is the dashboard that we've been going on a pretty regular right, right. basis. Um, so I'll go through this. There's a separate document that I don't intend to go through here that was an attachment for you to look at that was in response to Trustee Hernandez's request for demographics related about separations. Thank you. And so you can go through that at your leisure. Hopefully that indicates what you that want. And good. if it doesn't, just let me know and we, we can look at it. But that, the intent is to respond to that. Yeah. So a couple of um, areas. Um, the team are going to come up at that point to, to do presentations, so the rest of the HR team, the directors, and, and I'll let them introduce themselves when they come up. For the rest of the, the slide deck, I'm going to do the dashboard, then they're going to do each of their areas. That'll get a chance, give you a chance to get to know them a little bit better and get an understanding of the areas that they cover uh, and provide some feedback as we go through here. So uh, time to fill, which is basically our recruitment metric, uh, has improved. Uh, we're at uh, 48 days. Average for Western United States is about 52 days in healthcare, so we're filling positions at a faster clip, uh, which is a good thing. We're onboarding people uh, faster than we had targeted, so that's a good thing. Um, but when we get then to the next slide, which I will go to, um, which is uh, workers' compensation, so injuries, things are going in slightly the wrong direction. And so we're at 2.56 average days per FTE. This was a new metric we put in uh, that we hadn't been tracking. And it's relative to the number of days lost in a quarter uh, divided by the number of total FTEs we have, so productive time. It's a better metric according to our insurance company, Beta. We've been working with them and we had a blank, if you remember, for some time. And they were looking for a metric. Their other advice, which we will have in, uh, for FY20, is that there really isn't anyone for us to compare to. They can't find a compare group that's useful. Mm -hmm. So we're not an acute care hospital, uh, we're not a psychiatric hospital, we're not a SNF, we're all of the above. And the injury rates in all of those types of facilities vary dramatically. Psychiatric, psychiatric inpatient facilities and emergency, you'd expect there to be a high level of injury rates. It's not what we want, but it is typical and normal. Um, acute care has typical lifting injuries, needle sticks, you see a low rate of injuries in SNFs. You would probably see a higher rate of injuries in Fairmont than you would in the other two SNFs because we have more behavioral-based patients in that SNF. And so this mixture is making it very difficult for us to carve it out. Um, they didn't recommend we carve each facility out because there's so much overlap. But their recommendation is we compare ourselves to ourselves and set a, a goal of reducing the number of injuries per FTE. And so that's what we focus on. We'll present something to you, hopefully, that meets that objective. Reducing the injury rate against what our current performance is because the outside benchmarks, they're not, they have not found themselves comfortable recommending something that they think is reasonable for us to work against. 
Can I ask a question? Yeah, of course. Um, have you looked at the average cost of each of those, and do you have some sense of what that range might be? Yeah, we look on a quarterly basis. We get a report of all lost days. Uh, we have both incurred losses, which is how much we're paying for loss and how much we expect to reserve. Our re our res both reserve and incurred losses have been going down the last several years, and it's substantially less. And, and Greg can talk about that a little later, because I have a slide somewhere buried in my computer uh, that would tell we've dropped several million dollars in reserve this year from last year. Mm -hmm. And so it's not small, it's a pretty substantial reduction in the reserves that we have. Yeah. And that a lot of that's down to the good work that Greg has been doing around the organization. So are, are you, are we self-insured? We are. Okay. okay. Uh, we have stop-loss insurance as we okay. do on our health care insurance. So it's really important for us to keep the cost of this as low as possible. Right. And you can help us understand over time if yeah. we're actually doing that based on and I'll, I'll pull something together that might be useful in a future meeting to show you the reductions over multiple years in terms of the reserve that we have for workers' comp. Uh, that's been good. We made s several changes to the program and also the wellness work and ergonomic work that Greg's team have done have improved in that area as well. Um, let me just go to this slide. Sorry, it's a little... I'm realizing my eyesight is descending. <laughs> Uh, turnover is not looking good at all. Uh, now there's a mixture of reasons for this. Um, there have been some reductions uh, across the organizations. We capture everything here in our turnover rate. It's not a uh, voluntary, involuntary layoffs. We capture everything in a single number and so everything is captured. I am concerned about the first year turnover rate and uh, Lisa Marie and I have talked about it. I've talked with Janet McInnes, our Chief Nursing Officer. It is not reflected in the exit interviews, but I am concerned that our ability to onboard, particularly in those high volume areas like nursing, mm -hmm. is not what it should be in terms of engaging the employees into that department. Lisa Marie and her team have done a good job. They've launched a, an onboarding module within our performance management system at 30, 16, 90 days, and she'll talk about that more later, but we have more work to do here. Um, we really have a what is, I, I see a growing problem in the first year turnover that's concerning. So are, are you uh, using more travel nurses then? Uh, to f when we have a gap, we do. Uh -huh. But as you saw earlier, we're actually filling the vacancies pretty quickly, yeah. right? So yes, we're using travelers in specific areas, but I'm concerned that this is gonna, some of it may have been, you know, frankly caused because it's the last quarter about the publicity around the budget. Sure. Sure. Uh, people who haven't vested in any, any of our in, um, retirement plans. And so they're here, they're new. We created an unstable environment by some of the messages that we, we felt compelled to communicate, and, and sure. it was appropriately so. But that means people feel unstable, and they are not vested in the organization in, those, in that first year. You would typically see first year turnover for nurses be anywhere from 15 to 30 percent or 40 percent mm -hmm. in most healthcare organizations, which is not good. Mm -hmm. But it's again, it's not unusual. Mm -hmm. um, and we created, quite frankly, based on <coughs> some things beyond our control. But once we communicate that, we created an instability. Mm -hmm. And holding on to people is very difficult at that moment in time. And some of that data is playing out as we see the turnover. So we have work to do there, both on the onboarding, uh, making sure we're selecting the right people and making sure we do work to maintain and hold on to those people. Uh, but some of that, I think, you know, I am actually concerned over the next quarter to six months that we're going to see more of the same be so because of the instability that's in the environment around the, the budget. So, so if you fill a position with a traveler, 
Yeah. Uh, do you show, still show it as vacant on this report, or how does that work? Um, we're not showing any vacancies here, so we uh -huh. don't do a vacancy rate. Uh -huh. Vacancy rate's a bit of a false, it's a healthcare yeah. you know, metric that's typical. I felt the same one as that class. It's a false number. If I post 100 jobs today and I pull them down, the vacancy went, rate went to zero. It, because it's based on posted versus what you have in the budget. Okay. Um, and so we don't show vacancies here. We consider things vacant until filled. But also our budget is a flex budget based on volume. And so if we saw consistent patterns of reduced volume, we probably would not fill some of those positions anyway. But, but there's purely on volume as opposed to anything here or a travel filling that role. Well, to that point, what I was looking at was on the addendum, the exit interview mm -hmm. data, and not exactly at the, the interview data, and you don't have to go there now, but just the fact that we have um, a 5 to 15% increase in, in turnover yeah. in the last two years. Yeah. And so that's even, uh, especially voluntary, I mean, involuntary is rising, but much more slowly. But and, and involuntary may be rising with the expansion of the organization more, but voluntary, um, of course, and we know that it's rising because there's more opportunities. And as, you, as we look, as we delve into the exit interview, it's because people aren't getting the shift or the yeah. um, placement or whatever that they want. But it's, it's, it is concerning. I mean, it goes from, in um, 2017, it goes from about 500, a little over 500, to um, almost 700 now, or yeah, 600 and 660 um, people turnover. Yeah, so our, our turnover rate has held actually pretty steady. This year it's up. Uh, when you look at it, I, I just looked at all the months before I came in here. It's about 13 percent. Uh, healthcare is typically higher than that. Our target was 11.9%, so we're actually in the 12 point something. I'd have to check exactly. So our rate is got, our employee population has been increasing. So the rate is about the same, but the number of employees we've had is a little bit higher. And so our rates held fairly steady. It is, you know, as I said, the concern to me really is that first year turnover because that's churn. Uh, and it's people who are not vesting in the institution and you're holding on to other people who may they may have reached the point where maybe they should move on because this is not the right role for them anymore and we're not getting those people who are coming in on the front end sticking. And that's a, that's a concern that's really um, problematic for us, I think, and that's something we've got to spend a lot of time working on. Um, you know, as you look at the, the reasons people leave, the once the economy improves, people just have simply more opportunities. And for, for nursing, they always have a lot of opportunities in the Bay Area. If you go over to the peninsula, there's a hospital every five miles. And so there's always a lot of churn in that first year in new jobs in nursing. For nurses in particular, they typically take a job for reasons, shift location and pay, and they leave because they don't feel professionally rewarded. And they take their next job because of shift location and pay. And, and the cycle unfortunately repeats a lot. So I think we, d we definitely have work to do on that first year. There are things we can do to improve it, and there are things we need to do to improve that. If we can bring down that first year turnover at the general turnover rate's going to come with it. Uh, the, the rest of the stuff's going to move around, I think. But it is definitely an area we've got to do some work. Uh, and with that, I'm going to move over to hand over to Lisa Marie, who's going to introduce herself, uh, tell you the area she covers, and uh, then present her slides. Okay. Good evening, everyone. Hi. Hi. Thank you for your time tonight. 
Um, one thing I wanted to really uh, start off this um, presentation is to really celebrate because HR has been doing a really great job um, of really rebranding ourselves and really being a, um, a, have a good position within the organization to support our staff and our leaders. And so you'll see this, these great pictures that we've um, implemented this past year to really try and brand ourselves. And I just wanted to point out at the bottom it says human resources at your service. And I'll talk to you guys a little bit more about why that's really important to us and, and the meaning behind it. So I'm going to go ahead and move forward and um, share with you our organizational chart and human resources that's under Tony. And um, so all of his leaders are here. They're all behind you, so you'll have an opportunity to meet all of them in just a moment. <laughs> but um, myself, I'm Lisa Marie May, and I'm the Director of Talent Management, which is the first um, uh, area of responsibility. So I will, um, I'm responsible for recruitment, and I think you've heard my name a couple times, and I've been at all the BOTs in the last year, so. Um, so I'm responsible for recruitment and onboarding. I'm also responsible for learning and development team, the human resources information systems, and the newest, and we actually have a team member here who's from the HR Service Center and HR Compliance. Um, and so I will. So the first thing I wanted to highlight here is our recruitment team. And you'll see wonderful pictures of all of them in action. They've been attending a lot of community events. And um, one thing I want to point out is this is actually a partnership that SEIU um, Ed Fund, um, Health Path, which you'll hear from um, Jessica in a moment. Uh, we've been partnering in recruitment to really see, because her area um, has a lot of different focus, but a lot of it's also focused on the the younger generation, really getting them interested in healthcare, but then we're on the side of once they graduate, what happens? And so the SEIU Ed Fund has been very instrumental in us uh, really supporting opportunities within the organization for our employees. And so you can see we had um, a met an MA apprenticeship program, and what happened is that we uh, actually required our medical assistants to become certified this year, and the Ed Fund was very instrumental in helping them get that certification. Um, one thing that's not on here that I wanted to point out is right now we're actually going through the Sapphire implementation. And I don't know about all of you, but we have a lot of individuals that are not comfortable with computers. And so one of the things that we're offering as part of the um, implementation of Sapphire is that our employees that are not comfortable with computers, we're actually giving them training first and then getting the basics of computers before they even go forward with Sapphire training. So I'm very excited about that. And right now, um, last, I, last count I heard, we had over 350 employees signed up. So that just shows you that there was a real need. Um, we uh, definitely try our best to offer in-house counseling for our employees. So um, we have employees that will come and want to look at different opportunities, and so that's some of the services we'd like to offer. The other thing um, from a community outreach perspective is we've really had a strong partnership with the employee, um, employment department partnership. And so we've had workshops there. We've actually invited some of our leaders to come there and do recruitment fairs. And so that's been very instrumental, especially from a diversity standpoint. We've been able to really garner a lot of um, skilled employees through this partnership. Um, in addition, we've done a lot of different, outside of um, the EDD, just a, a lot of different career fairs. Liz, is that uh, at, at um, the federal building? Downtown? No, we actually, um, over at this um, support the, services on Oakport Street. Right, where the... 
workforce uh, development board is there and, and I don't know who's all there, but the, they do have an e employment department okay. representing the Alameda County area. So it's been a great partnership. And we actually were given an award for diversity because of our outreach that we've been partnering with them. Uh, we've been doing targeted um, diversity recruitment. So uh, we have a plan of action where we looked at all of our areas within the organization and we uh, analyzed their opportunities. And from that, we really um, looked at social media outlets that we could do targeted recruitment. So that's where the targeted recruitment comes in. The 30, 60, 90 day onboarding, I'm really excited about this because what it does is that if a manager hires any employee at 30 days, they get an automatic email. The email is a link that has all different resources of these are the things that you should be going over with your employees for the first 30 days. Then it progresses after 60 days, there's a different need for our employees. So there's another link that they receive and it has all different resources for them to be able to go to and help coach them. And what does it look like for them 60 days since they've been hired and then so on. And then we have a 90 day progression. And so again, this is for every, for every department, every, every supervisor. Yep. So we have an automated system. So once um, we hire on an employee, it connects to who their manager is and then their manager receives emails 30, 60, 90 days and it reminds them that it's now time for you to meet with that employee. Like that. So, so there's another thing that I'm actually um, responsible for designing for a couple of companies and it's called the stay interview. Oh, okay. And I wonder if at six months you're able to implement that because that can help with the person that's really not sure and mm -hmm. uncomfortable. So the 30, 60, 90 day onboarding is fantastic. That's a really good thing to be doing. But um, I think a lot of companies are really concerned now about turnover. Mm -hmm. And especially when the economy is good, I mean, I know we're going through our own situation, but I'm just saying in general, it's harder to hold on to people. And this mm -hmm. idea of the stay interview, I can even share with you the questions from that if you want. Okay, I'd love that. Yeah. In a previous employer in healthcare, one of the questions we would ask in a similar sort of, uh, not the state interview, but a similar sort of survey to this is, have you actually met your manager since you started here? And you would be <laughs> in healthcare, which is a 24-7 environment. I know. You a weekend know nurse may have been here for 30, 60, 90 days or longer and never met the manager beyond the interview it's when true. they were hired. It's mm -hmm. true. And so then there's a clear disconnect between the individual and the, and the and their manager. Yeah. And so there are real risks that that are particular to healthcare because of the twenty four seven nature of the of the business. And so do you ask the same question of the manager? If have they met or, or spent time that, with it? So that's something I use elsewhere. This is this is specifically for the manager oh, okay. so they can right. go meet with their employees. Does it include a question about have you met the person? <laughs> <or have you laughs> Not yet. <laughs> We're more optimistic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So one of the things I wanted to also share with you is just some data around our applicant tracking system. And as I mentioned earlier, we've been doing some real targeted recruiting. So you can see the makeup of our female applicants for 2019. Um, I don't know if you're all um, aware of the EEO1 codes, I, I, um, but you can see next to it we have the trainee professional, so that's very entry level. Um, more of our technician type of positions, um, professional, etc. And you'll see um, with the number of candidates that we have applying for our jobs that have um, 
that are willing to identify. Uh, you can see we have a very good diverse pool of candidates that are coming in on the female side. At least that's how I feel. When you look at the numbers, so you can see, um, you can see with the red area under professionals. I'll kind of walk through a little bit. So professionals, which is like one, two, three, the fourth bar down, we have um, a number of um, candidates that um, identify as being um, the background with an Asian, um, as an Asian. Then we have um, the area of black African-American, um, Hispanic, Latino. Um, so you can see just the different makeup and the different levels of people that are applying here at Alameda Health System. And this is just for females. And it's 7,000? Yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For the entire system. Yes, yes. all the agencies that fall into that classification. Yeah. Just a note I made for myself is to, I'll get, Ross, you mentioned you weren't familiar with it, I'll get you a, we'll get a grid with the EO1 right. classification, oh, because all the yeah. other classifications fall into, and we'll put it in something on board of NASDAQ, so you can take a look at it, and that okay. might be helpful to you when you refer to these reports. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And then moving on to male, same, uh, again, we have a good number of individuals that are applying with us that are um, identify and having a, um, the different categories of backgrounds. The next one is just overall. So we do have where we um, have a number of candidates that apply that decide they do not, they prefer not to identify as well. So we're moving right along on learning and development. I'm very excited about Can this. Can I ask some, oh, yeah. do we um, ask about citizenship? Yes. Yeah. And we're required to because of CMS and federal rates. I don't know if we're required at that point in the process. Okay. It's more when we it's move forward the offering. Yeah, it's ultimately about the right to work in the United States. You're a city, you need to be a citizen and have an authorized, other right. authorized to work in the, in the United States without a visa. So that's just a part of the program you need to go through. To be high nine, the Trustee Hernandez was showing mm -hmm. you when she arrived. <laughs> when you get to that point, you've got to, you've got to be answering those questions mm -hmm. and the people have got to be able to work in the U.S. So now I want to turn to the other area that I'm responsible for, which is learning and development. And you will see we just completed our annual um, competencies, which is um, our compliance. And um, what I want to point out is in 2018, we had a three-month period that people um, had to complete their annual competencies. And we had a 64% completion rate. This past year, we um, narrowed it down to two months because we wanted to be sensitive to everything that's going on with the um, SAFIRE implementation, and so we wanted to complete the, um, that program sooner. So our deadline was um, shortened by two, to two, from three months to two months. But what you can see, though, is based on our communications and everything that we did, we actually had a 95% completion rate. So I'm very pleased to announce that just based on, um, you know, we shortened the timeline. Was the training the same or was it, uh, was the training time period, the amount of time invested by staff the same or did that change? It's about the same as far as the amount of um, time that it takes for them to complete the annual competencies. And so is the annual compliance, do different people at different, um, different tenures take a different? No, it's the same. It's based on the Joint Commission requirements, yeah. So life, life by safety, um, I'm trying to think. 
for some people it's the use of uh, x-rays, mm -hmm. uh, there are yes. donning and doffing of protective equipment, they're, they're the same for everyone, you do them. You do them uh, and you do it every year? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For phlebotomy it would be about needle sticks or yeah. something? Like for, you, these are annual copies for everyone. Everyone, everyone. 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 It's a standard for everyone. It's a standard. And then the nurses have a whole set of individual copies they go through on the, on the unit and they record it at the unit level. But this is everyone in the organization oh. that has to do the same copies. This past year, um, we were required to implement a two-hour training um, to and how to handle patients for in the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. And so we have, uh, I'm actually uh, pleased to announce too that we have an 83% completion rate on that as well. Um, we have the workplace violence. Uh, last year we had 60% completion. We will be launching that in the next few months. I, in October actually is when we're going to launch it because we're going to wait for Sapphire to launch and get through that. Um, and then we completed diversity inclusion and I apologize, you'll hear that again from Shemaine, so. Um, but we had a 98% completion of our diversity inclusion training as well. Um, we, this is really exciting too. I'm excited about everything. So, <laughs> but our leadership academy, um, I, I don't know if, I think you guys have heard about it, but um, we uh, just graduated our last cohort just yesterday. So you'll see um, we had, at the time when I did the slides, we had 14 cohorts and um, we just completed our last session. So that means over 247 leaders were trained in Leadership Academy. And the other thing that I'm really uh, um, excited about is that we even had physicians go through the process. So you can see we had 21 physicians that completed it and we have 10 more to go. So um, you can see over to the right that our executive VPs completed it, 12%, um, our directors 23%, and managers, um, supervisors 65%. A question for you about um, the LGBTQ training. Is this involving um, the collecting collecting of SOGI data and real data? Is that part of what that training is about? No, no? not that I'm aware of. Okay. No. So, so no. do we um, train on how to collect that kind of data from patients? We do. So from a HR perspective, we don't provide that data. I have oh. to verify with the operations. It would be more really, it's, QI. It's, it's, okay. it's to do with uh, the patients themselves. This is the interaction, particularly it was a requirement of CMS to provide it to mm -hmm. school nursing facilities, mm -hmm. what uh, staff, and what we're actually looking at is whether we can broaden this out and modify it in some way to roll it out across the rest of the organization, ambulatory and acute care if that's possible as well. Uh, but the modules are very specific to SNP and a requirement of the CMS. So um, overall this is just a, a grid of what I just um, presented on the different training that we've completed in the learning and development team. Um, so coming soon, uh, we will be launching our anti-sexual harassment training for all staff. Uh, we are looking at the Leadership um, Academy Phase 2. Uh, and then we'll be looking at the uh, Learning Management System, which is our electronic management system. And we actually purchased a, a product that now our employees will be able to go in and do self-paced um, any type of learning that they might desire. So it's a library of several thousand different themes. It could be customer service. It could be how do you create a Word document. And so they will be able to actually access the system at any time and do some of their own learning. 
Hmm. And LMS stands for? Learning Management System. Okay, thank you. Yeah. And are people able to access that on their phone, or do they have to have a laptop? Um, that's a good question. I would need to get back to you on it. I think it's laptop, but yeah. Now it's our um, HR information systems. Great picture of them. And um, so one of the, uh, some of the key things that they're responsible for is um, we recently implemented and updated our performance management system. And so they uh, are instrumental in um, creating the new reports and the forms. Um, so it's a lot of technology behind the scenes. We, uh, we just launched the 360 review for our executive leaders. So they were instrumental in creating the documents and the process behind that. Um, they helped with the COLA. And again, that's something that uh, we'll hear a little bit more about from our director of total rewards, Sheila. So that's some of their uh, responsibility. They look at the cost impact on our contracts as we continue to go through union negotiations. They build out the HR dashboard, so a lot of the data that you see that Tony um, speaks about is from that team. Uh, we launched a SharePoint site, and this is a central repository so that all of our HR staff is um, kept informed and trained on any um, changes that may impact the HR staff, so they're ready to go. So, um, and then I'm, uh, the other thing is we have two analysts on that team and they became certified as analysts this year. Great. So uh, we are also um, in getting ready for open enrollment. So we just had a meeting about that. Um, the Board of Trustees, uh, we did that whole getting payroll, everyone payrolled on that. Um, the service center implementation. So they've been really instrumental in helping with a lot of the technology that helps drive some of the work that we're doing in HR. And that's their closing. <laughs> um, so this is very exciting because this is a very, very new team and I actually uh, referenced one of the team members, which is Preet. Um, and actually Preet is one of our leads on the service center team. So we've, um, in HR, uh, all of us have been really trying to uh, get into our real specialty areas, but uh, what we want is our, the face of our HR, um, we want a, um, individuals, our employees, to be able to go once, one stop, to be able to get any of their answers. So besides, um, we're complementing the HR business partners. So the HR business partners are really the face of the more strategy side of HR. Our service center is more the day-to-day -day operations. So if employees have the questions, they don't um, know about their benefits, they don't know where to go, they start with the service center. And what's nice about it is it's, um, we have a 24-hour ticketing system. So if anyone calls, it creates a ticket. If anyone emails, it creates a ticket and they can track anything, um, any of their questions or where they're at in the status of their questions. And so this team is responsible for that. How like five years ago, was there a service team like this? Nope, we just started this year. So this whole idea and this whole ability to directly get a response from HR is just begun. Yep. That's tremendous. Yes. And so you can see these are kind of the hub of everything that they uh, work through. And they're more the, the, the basic, <coughs> you know, answering the, the basic questions. If it needs escalation, we have an escalation process. So they either escalate it to myself, because right now um, I'm kind of the main person, but I do have a manager eventually. 
Um, but if it's not, then we um, actually uh, reassign tickets to the appropriate experts. So for example, we have HR business partners who they're more experts in certain areas. So there may be a question that this team can't answer. So they will reassign the ticket to the appropriate individual. And that way, the employee that may have the question can see the progress of their question. And we have service level agreements of getting back to those individuals um, within a certain amount of time. And so right now, our turnaround time has been um, 48 hours. Mm -hmm. And this is actually to give you some of the uh, questions that we're getting. So since launch, which was April, so it's still very fresh, uh, we've received 4,441 tickets. <laughs> and out of those tickets... <laughs> I've met demand. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see out of those um, tickets uh, we've received, so the PARS is personnel action request. So that means a manager will put in maybe a status request form or whatever, and so that's through our ticketing system. Um, compliance questions, um, phone tickets, so that means people are calling us up. What would be a compliance question? Um, they might have a question about, um, let me think of compliance. Oh, annual competencies is a good question. So right now, we have individuals that sometimes aren't able to meet the deadline. Maybe something happened, and they'll ask for it. They'll say, is there any way possible I can have an extension? Um, total rewards is our benefits. So those are the kinds of questions you'll see. Our, uh, at time of launch, we were at 48% with compliance. However, it's changed since April. Hmm. So our current tickets, you can see the shift, is that um, we are getting more personnel action requests. And it doesn't necessarily mean we're getting questions. We're just getting, the, it seems like the, um, our work is, is, is paying off. Hmm. Our managers are utilizing the system. They're going through. And so if they need to make any changes, they're processing it through the PARS system. So we're at 64% right now. Our compliance has um, dwindled down to 17%. And then electronic tickets are at 10%. And I will say, um, Preet's done a really good job. We uh, put some um, expectations as far as how many tickets we want to um, touch each day. So each um, employee, there's uh, five on the team, and they're um, touching about minimally 20 tickets a day. Hmm. And so you'll see again, these are some of the things that uh, PARS, uh, maybe an employee transfer, someone might be doing a location change, a supervisor change. So these are some of the PARS that come in and, and what we're processing. And then you can see right here, license and certification. So this is on the compliance side. Mm -hmm. um, we uh, are processing, you can see about 250, 300 license certifications each month, which means that we are actually looking, making sure that all of our, everyone remains, um, their, kept their license up. Mm -hmm. We just launched a um, new system, which is our EverCheck. And so this will be a more automated system, which is great, because now we will be notifying our employees at um, 60 days at, of their license expiring. They will now get a friendly reminder that, hey, it's time for you to start looking at your license renewal. What, what, is, what is off schedule? Um, which one is that one? Uh, red bars yeah. are people who haven't done their license. Oh, right. Is that right? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. right. They're off. They're so off they've been there. removed from the schedule because they did not come. Got, Got it. Yeah. Got it. Would that explain the huge number of calls in April? 
like it was 48 percent of compliance. I was wondering if the dwindle was because that was when it became abundantly clear to people that they had to get it fixed. Probably. Okay. Well, <laughs> I don't know. So there, there are two ends to this. Lisa Marie's doing the the very positive end of this, which is have a check goes in place. We remind you of what you need to do. But for this, TB and uh, Terry Dixon will talk about this more. We've also put, frankly, more punitive measures in place. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't want to do what you need to do, then this is not the place for you to work. Right. right? We are no different than Kaiser, Sutter, anywhere else. If you don't get your license and you, we give you a 14-day window, then you resign. Mm -hmm. If you don't get your TB in the same period, you resign. If you don't do your compliance, you resign. You know, that's what happens in every other healthcare environment. We had a less consistent uh, approach to that. And now because uh, Lisa Marie's team have done all the work on the front end about we are very clear that we give you all the information you need, we're clear our reports are right, we're clear that you've chosen not to do this, now you've made a choice not to work yet. That's your choice. Because we have to have the same consistent standards than every other healthcare provider would have in the same circumstances. And so because they did all this good work on the front end, it allows us to be much more consistent on the back end now in terms of how we deal with people who make a choice not to complete this. We don't treat people who are on LOAs in the same way. We are, you know, Obviously, we understand if they're not here, they can't do what needs to be done. We wait until they return. But in all other circumstances, if you're here, we need a greater degree of compliance, which is why you see all the work that she did earlier in training going up and all the other work going up in terms of compliance. And then there's a consequence if people make a choice not, not to do that. And that front-end work has been really important for us being able to do that in an effective and, frankly, in a fair way, treating employees appropriately and, and our patients likewise. That's it for me. Okay. Thank you. Can I just... What, what did the system look like before you created the service center? Uh, what it was is that um, employees, <laughs> if they had questions, they would just probably call anyone that they knew. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of people that, you know, like I, um, I Karen. Yeah, so we have a manager in our HRIS team who's very knowledgeable. And everyone knows her. And so they would call her, especially our leaders. They know to call Karen if they need a report or if they need anything. Uh, where now okay, perfect. we consolidate and we have one repository where people can come to and email us and, and do calling. And now it goes to the right individuals versus being bounced around. And I think it's really cool. terrific that you have the face to the HR because often mm -hmm. HR is you associate a name or you hear a name as a staff person or even a manager and you say, oh, I'll, I, that person might know. But you have associated faces with names and, and a whole the clearance house place where people can call with their questions and that's, that should be really important for um, employee morale and, and satisfaction. So this is the at your service sort yeah. of moniker that you create? Yes. And it was an internal campaign to get that out? That's yes. And there are two parts to uh, what Trace said. One is the service center that deals with all of this. Then there's the business partners who are out in the field, who are embedded in the various elements of the business, who are the partners to the CAOs and vice presidents to help them get the work done. Then the tactical work that needs to get done gets done in the service center, and you don't combine the two. One's there as a professional advisor, the other's there and helps you get through all this work so it doesn't get in your way. Tell me, how many people are now in HR? Uh, right now, I think it's 60, but that would include health path. 60 to 65, I think, is the total. No, I mean, it's always off, because when I look at reports, we get people who are in what we term the parking lot, who are, who are permanent and stationary from other departments, and so the number's always off in my head, but it's around 60 to 65. 
All right. Thank you for your time. Thanks. Thank um, you. I'll let Sheila introduce okay. herself. Hi. Um, good afternoon. I'm Sheila Walker. I'm the director of Total Rewards, and I'm relatively new to AHS. I just started in January. So yes, I'm pretty new. Um, and so under my area, I have benefits, retirement, and compensation. Those are all my areas. Um, and our agenda, we're going to go through our medical enrollment migration. We're going to talk about the medical claims experience. We're going to speak on the dependent audit verification. Um, and then obviously throughout the presentation, you'll have time for questions. So I'm going to start with the medical um, migration. Um, we have two self-funded plans. We have our freedom of choice plan. It's basically a PPO plan. Um, and then we have an independence plan, um, and that's a high deductible plan. The plan designs between the two other than that high deductible are identical. Um, in addition to that, we have the fully insured Kaiser plans. There's a high, medium, and low plan. Um, and this slide illustrates the migration from 2017 through 2019. And you can see this slide illustrates that um, employees are migrating from the Kaiser High Plan to our Freedom of Choice Plan. That's pretty much what this slide is illustrating. Um, in 2017, we had 60.5% in the Freedom of Choice. Now we have 64.7% in the Freedom of Choice. And in 2017, we had let's see, 36.6 in the Kaiser High, now we have 32.3. The rest of the plans are pretty much holding steady. And that is our goal at this point, is to move employees to our plans, and further, we'd like to push them to AHS, the AHS network, instead of the Anthem network, and also, obviously, instead of them going outside of the network, so that's our ultimate goal. So freedom of choice includes Either Anthem or? Yes. Okay. The, the, the freedom of choice and the independence plans, um, they have three tiers of, of, um, of, of uh, networks. You can go out of the network, you can use the AHS network, which we want, obviously, or you can use the Anthem network. Those are the options. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm going to move on. Okay, so now I just wanted to give you guys some information on our, um, our self-funded, um, it says all plans here, but really the slide is for our self-funded plans for our experience. And this the next two slides illustrate our experience from the period of January 1 through May, okay? That's for this year and for 2018 as well. So those are the years, that's the time period I'm speaking on in these slides. So you will notice um, our, um, for 2018, our loss ratio was 86%, okay? Mm -hmm. For 2019, we're trending higher. Our current loss ratio is 97%. Now we're still very new into 2019, so that's a very early projection. So it's, it's not time to be concerned about that because we're so new into the year. And also there's a claims lag, so it's not time to be concerned about it yet. Okay? Uh, Sheila, do you want to explain the loss ratio to mm -hmm. the familiar with Yes. Basically, the loss ratio is what, actually, what we actually, the loss we actually experience as compared to budget for that same time period. Mm -hmm. That's what the loss ratio is. So obviously, the lower that number is, the better. Um, and so then we're going to talk about the enrollment change. There's been a slight tick, um, uptick in enrollment. 
Um, there in 2018, at this same period, we had, let's see, 2,419 employees, and for the 2019 period, 2,493. So slight uptick in enrollment. Um, I thought it was important to illustrate what's happening with the Rx, because obviously Rx is a big issue. Um, for 2018, the per member, per month um, amount for Rx was, let's see, $184.36. For 2019, it's, it's a little bit up so far, $208.34. Again, remember what I said, it's very early into 2019. A lot of these numbers you're seeing for 2019 are the lag claims from 2018 coming through now. Um, effective January 1, we did move our, our RX plans to Express Scripts, um, and our, our benefits consultant, Marsh, is projecting a $2 million savings. Um, obviously, I mean, it's showing a little bit of an uptick now, but again, it's way too early in the game to be worried about these numbers. Tony and I have a meeting scheduled with Marsh um, tomorrow where we're going to be walking through strategy, um, the renewals, and all of that. And so I wanted to give you guys more information on the um, what can be contributing to the increase in fees beyond just the claims, which are, you know, that's pretty obvious. Um, there was a 2.4% increase in the administration fees charged by Health Comp. Um, also, um, Anthem charged an additional 3% for 2019, normally it's like zero to one percent. And then lastly, there was a, a pretty large um, increase in our stop loss, okay? So how our stop loss works is up to the first $250,000 in coverage for any one claim, we pay that out of our money. Anything beyond that is insured, okay? Um, and so any increases of, of that are just, it's purely based on experience. So that's why we had this 14.4%. Um, and it's my understanding, I wasn't here at the time, that they did take the stop loss insurance to the market because you know, we're concerned, that's a lot of, it's a big increase. And they found through that marketing effort that that 14.4% was justified. Um, so that's why we stayed with our current carrier. Um, and that's just more reasons for the increase of 2019 over 2018. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. I didn't forward. Sorry about that. Okay. So do you guys have any questions about this? Okay. Okay. So now we wanted to go into the dependent eligibility verification. So before I start talking about the audit itself, I wanted to give you guys some information on how the dependents are actually impacting our plans. Okay. So HMS, HMS is the vendor we're going to use for our dependent eligibility verification audit. Um, and they're predicting or they're saying that on average, 4 to 8% of dependents enrolled in employer-sponsored health plans are, are illegitimate or are not, or they truly don't meet the definition of a dependent. And that could be for various reasons. Maybe someone was married and they got a divorce, right? But they didn't remove their spouse. How often is this audit done? This is going to be the first time we're doing it here. It's going to be an ongoing thing going forward. First time? Yeah. Yep. Now, the, now just, to, just to give you more clarity around that, you guys, we have been doing it kind of loosely in our department, but I, I want to really do it 
and I, I, I right. and so that's you know we just we want to really do right. it. So that's why we went to an outside vendor to help us with this process. You, see, you probably do it. I'm sorry, um, but of course at enrollment, that's when the yes. major task is done to yes. review. Yes, and we have been collecting um, documentation, but we haven't been very good about really following up and dropping people. We just want to do it the right way. So we're going to look at everybody and collect the data. So who who manages the plan for us? I would imagine they also would look at like kids aging out or. That well, that's we kind of control that ourselves Maybe. within the plan. Okay. Because when employees turn, uh, when children turn 26, they're covered through the end of the month. So we have processes in place mm -hmm. to automatically remove those those overage dependents. We're mostly just concerned about spouses, domestic partners, and children that really don't meet our definition of a dependent. Do we cover um, non-married partners? Yes, we do. We cover we cover domestic partners, and most employers do. Yes. And adopted children. As adopted well. children as well. Yes. Stepchildren? Stepchildren as well. That happens. <laughs> if you have a child that you're the legal guardian of, we cover that child as well, but you have to provide us with the proof of that. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yes. But it's okay. still, it could be as much as 8%. That's interesting to me. Yeah, and, I'm, and we think, yeah. just because of the generous nature of our plans, we think that we're going to be trending on the higher percentage. Okay. I remember, our plan's free. Uh -huh. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so because of that, it's likely that people take advantage of that if they're in a relationship and it's a choice mm -hmm. between someone else's plan yeah, and this sure. plan, it's, it's going to be this plan. Yeah, why my, not? My wife's in yep. health care. They have good benefits. Right. We use mm -hmm. this plan. Yeah. Yeah. Now, mm -hmm. is an employee allowed to purchase a plan for a dependent? A non-qualifying? Yeah, non-qualifying dependent. Can an employee purchase a plan for a non-qualified dependent? A 27-year-old. Yeah. Sure, on the outside. On the outside, they not, can go online, not and, but not, not through in, us. Not yeah. in here. No, not through us. Okay. The only time we would cover an overage dependent is if that, that child is disabled, mm -hmm. and they have to provide proof of that. Mm -hmm. That's the only time we accept an overage dependent. And the, the audit will be just based on talking to staff and just updating? No, it's right. going to be... It, 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 Sheila's got about four slides. Yeah, you're going to see the whole... It's a, it's a big yeah, process. If she goes, if she goes through them, you'll see what this looks like. Yes, okay. yes, yes. And so just to continue... Do you guys have any more questions before I continue on with this slide? Okay. So um, also, um, on average, we about... Each of our employees enrolls 1.4 dependents. Um, and just in a nutshell, the dependents are costing 51% of our um, medical and RX expenses. And that amount, that's $26 million. So that's a big chunk of money. Um, and so for 2019, we're expecting that each dependent is going to cost us about $7,159. Okay, and then I wanted to talk about, give you guys information on how dependents are impacting our large claims. So historically, 50 to 66% of large claims, and that's defined as over $250,000, are incurred by dependents. So they're slamming their plans very hard. So the so 26 we, uh, million, is that before whatever employees would have to pay for dependent coverage? No, that, that's what our, ultimate, our net cost would be cost. for dependents, okay. yes. Okay? All right, so this, this slide clearly it, it illustrates what these dependents are doing to our plans. So it is not uncommon these days to see employers doing these audits. Okay, it's very common 
Um, any employees that's moved around recently with jobs within the last five years has probably gone through this. So now I wanted to, let me, let me advance this right here. Okay, so now I wanted to give you guys more information on what this is going to look like. Okay, like, let me make sure I didn't go past too many slides. Okay, here we go. Okay, so our, our goal with all of this was to engage with an outside provider um, to, to help with this process, okay? So we've been working with this, this provider on communications and all of this, and I'm going to get more into that later, but our goal is we don't want our employees touching this data. We want it to go directly to this outside provider to collect this data. And this company is HMS? HMS. And the only thing they do is dependent eligibility verification audits. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's their only line of business. We met with three different vendors, and by far, they excelled everyone. So we're very confident that they can do a great job. Okay? Um, so we talked about the projected savings earlier, um, and we're thinking that we're going to be closer to that $971,000 figure. That's a second bullet point. And that's, and that's ongoing, whatever the savings is, will be. Yeah, it's ongoing because those dependents are removed forever. Yep, yep. They're offering performance guarantees. The whole process is going to take about three to four months. We have notified the unions. Okay, they sat in with a meeting with us. They had some follow-up questions. Athena and Tony and I crafted some responses, and they're fine. And I've done this before in a highly unionized environment. Unions don't push back because they understand that it's good for us, it's good for the employees because it keeps the cost down. It's good for everybody. So that was not a, a no-brainer. So to give you guys some information about the timeline, we're, we had a planning process that's done. Um, once they send out the initial packets to the employees, the employees are going to have about 41, 45 days to provide their documentation. Um, there'll be a final notice to the employees to let them know the ones that haven't provided the documentation that we're dropping your dependents. It's important that you guys understand that we are not dropping the dependents retroactively. That's mm -hmm. a bad move. You shouldn't do that. So we're at, they're going to be dropped at a certain point. Mm -hmm. So they'll know that as of you know, October 1st or whatever the date we define, those dependents will be dropped. And we're not taking any action against the employee other than to drop the dependent. No. Yes. And are we making sure they know to search for assistance on the exchange or are, are we going to let them know? Yes, yes, yes. Because I notice it says they're not going to be eligible. Not eligible for COBRA, COBRA no. Right. That's huge. Yes, yeah. it is huge. HMS has a fantastic website, you guys, that has all these resources. That's part of the reason why we chose um, HMS. It provides them with information on if you don't have the birth certificate, where you can get the birth certificate, where you can get other insurance, all of that. Okay. So, yes. So, yes. So, so once they're notified, you're saying they are going to, HMS is going to be the one to say, you are not eligible, you need to find other insurance, yep. here's some resources, go forth and find yes. other yes. coverage. Yes, okay. yes, yep, yep. So, um, yeah, and the last one is basically they're not eligible for COBRA because they they're not eligible per our plan guidelines. And then, lastly, um, we've had our kickoff call. Um, we've done a lot of work. I've already approved all the communications. The file will go out to HMS. Um, this week, and they're going to be mailing the initial packets next week. 
The HR service center is fully aware of what's going on. The HR business partners are fully aware. The unions are aware. We're going to keep everybody fully informed. The unions have asked us to let them know once we get to the point where we're getting near the end of the process and, and some of their people still haven't responded because they want to reach out to those people directly. So we've agreed to do that. So that's a win-win. We want to do that, right? Um, Sheila, just let me in. What we, what, um, she was referring to there is if, for example, I have three dependents who are on the plan, if I haven't provided the evidence of a marriage certificate or, or relationship and that my kids are my kids who are both students, if I don't provide that, you're going to be dropped, mm -hmm. whether they're eligible or not. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. as far as we're concerned, at that point, you're not eligible because you haven't prov provided evidence mm -hmm. of eligibility, mm -hmm. which is why the union wants to be involved and we want them to be involved because mm -hmm. they're their members as well as our employees mm -hmm. to engage with that, that person. Mm -hmm. If they don't provide evidence that they are a dependent, they will not be included in the insurance and they'll be dropped from it. Mm -hmm. Will they be able to reinstate themselves if they re yes. sort of yes. come back yes. and say, we're gonna oh, have a, I found Yes, it. we're yeah. going to have a grace period. Okay. Will yeah. they be allowed to do that? And so, ahead of time, is there, is there, um, is there an, an email department, uh, an um, organization-wide email? Oh, yeah, we're going to send out, before in? HMS, the, the mailing goes out, we're going to send out an, an email to everyone to let them know this is legitimate, this is something you we're responsoring, and then HMS is going to take it from there, but we'll send out reminders. We're going to be partnering with the HR business partners as well, and the employee service center as well, so everybody's in the loop on what's happening. The, what you should know for public meetings is there will be noise around this mm -hmm. because sure. when it impacts oh, yeah. some benefits. Mm -hmm. There's another area here that she didn't mention, I'll mention it briefly. Mm -hmm. uh, for some for some period of time we've covered grandchildren. We will not be covering grandchildren from open enrollment going forward. Mm -hmm. It's an incredibly unusual benefit. Yes. It's potentially expensive mm -hmm. benefit that we're not in the business of being able to afford. Mm -hmm. uh, and so those things are going to cause no noise with the employee populations mm -hmm. and, and uh, public meetings. Just to reinforce, our benefits are still outstanding. Mm -hmm. Those benefits that are self-insured plan are today free, that may change when we get into the next open enrollment as, as we discussed uh, in the budget, mm -hmm. they're gonna that is going to cause noise from our employees. Mm -hmm. It is uncomfortable when it changes, it's uncomfortable when you've got to pay more. Mm -hmm. We do think that despite the change we're making, we have incredibly competitive benefits, mm -hmm. far and above most other providers in mm -hmm. the same industry as mm -hmm. we are. Mm -hmm. And so there are changes that will sort of edge us towards the market for this sort of work. And, and Tony, have you thought a lot about the range of, say, co-payments or, or, or uh, you know, employees participating yep. in this. Are, are we looking at saying, you know, everyone's going to pay $100 versus mm -hmm. everyone's going to pay $500 for their insurance? So we have work. I don't want to speak about that because we've got analysis coming in on that. And yet the answer to your question is yes, we have thought about it. There are varying ways to do it. You can do it based on income. And so that's not unusual. Some will base it on income below a certain level will have a smaller copay than those above. You can apply it, or you can apply it, and frankly, looking at the performance of our plans, you may apply it to dependents as opposed to the employee. Mm -hmm. You may maintain mm -hmm. absolute free coverage right. for the employee, right. and you may make them pay some portion of the dependent right. uh, premium. Yeah, and that's, that's the approach I'm interested in. Yeah. Yeah. If we can make it work financially, because yeah. we can still say we offer free insurance, right? Right, right. sure. Yeah. 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 So. Thank you. Yeah. My question was, um, how much is this engagement costing with HMS? It's uh, approximately $85,000 for the, for the first year. Wow. And so, yeah, it's well worth it. 
Yeah. And, and it's going to be an ongoing Ongoing. Step. We're going to do open enrollment, and after open enrollment, every month thereafter, any new dependent that's on the plan, they're going to go to the same audit process. Hmm. So the plans will be clean. Uh, say that again? During enrollment, don't they have to provide that documentation? Right. New, new people coming on, yeah. so you may have a birth, you may get married. Yes. We bring new employees on right. every week. And right. so all of right. those will go through the same process. Mm -hmm. but the, yeah. At the front end. Correct. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. not going to be waiting. There's not going to be a lag time to yes. ensure that we stay completely yes. forward. And I mean, the grandchildren benefit is it, that will will still cover grandchildren if they're if they're in the custody or the yes the guardian yes. Yes. Exactly. Yes. yes. So no different than any than yes. any other right. employer. Oh, okay. But yes. we have something right now is if you, we're covering the grandchildren of an employee who may not be a dependent of that person. Uh, wow. Yeah. It is amazing. Uh, yes. It became apparent and we are uh, moving it. Yes. Wow. So it would become yeah. a grandparent. No, it became apparent to us it as we became were going a through the fire. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Someone yeah. became a grandparent and it wasn't Well, made. exactly. And if you had, unfortunately, if you had a child, if, if you had a child um, who had special needs and you had a parent who had grandchild coverage, you know, mm -hmm. or special medical needs or whatever, mm -hmm. that would tend to yeah. be mm -hmm. um, an incentive. For mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it's, a, it's an expensive benefit and one I think we are just the best. that we can't afford. So, so basically, if you're a legal dependent, exactly, right. the, that's uh, correct. Uh, you uh, become uh, under uh, 26, 26 or, mm -hmm. disa or disabled. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that concludes my presentation. Do you guys have any more questions? Okay. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. And now. And so you'll present the. Findings. We can we'll do bring that, that back yeah. in the Absolutely. fall. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you. Sorry, I'm yawning so much. I had I was at the council meeting until 1:30 last night. I want to hear Aretha Franklin's song. Until when after I see the this one. This one. It sucks as everyone has. Yes. Hello, good evening. I'm Shemaine Pierce, the um, lead for the business partner team. Hi. Hey. How are you guys? Good. Good. Um, so last time I was here, we talked about our employee engagement survey and that we were changing vendors, and so the new vendor was uh, Engaged Excel. We just completed the survey on June 28th, and so we haven't quite had an opportunity to review the data, but we know from a participation perspective where we ended. Um, and so the numbers I have for you are a little different than those that are on the screen, but we ended with 51% um, participation rate overall uh, throughout the organization with 80 of those departments, or 38 of those departments reaching 100% participation and um, 80 departments reached at least our goal, which was 70%. So we had 16 or so who reached 70%, another nine or 10 uh, or 18 that reached 80%, eight that reached 90%, and a total of 38 that actually reached 100%. And do you want to mention what it is if we took the providers out? Sure, so if we remove the providers, the 51% does include the providers. If we remove the providers, then we end it with a total participation rate of 57%. <laughs> a more attractive rating. <laughs> because this is just employee, you mean this that is would be just employees who are directly 
Correct. We have, this is in, in the survey we included employees plus providers, so members of the medical staff mm -hmm. were all included. Once you carve the providers out, their, their completion rates are, I think, is about 37%, yes. 36, 37%, so that drops the average considerably below all the other areas mm -hmm. of the organization, which is not unusual. I think the last uh, provider, purely provider survey was about 20% a few years ago that we wow. did. Huh. So participation rate there was low. So HR had 100% participation? Uh, yes, one, one, one person. <laughs> one person. <laughs> One person, did not do it. one person, but and obviously you don't know who that is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't make your team. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yes. Right, his team got 100%. His team got 100%. Yes. yes. And actually, Tony's direct reports received 100% too. And so, as you can see from the slide, all those departments that actually did reach 100%. We went out and we took photos of them with a certificate that we presented them with as well as balloons. So those pictures have been circulating on the intranet. We really wanted to make sure we recognize those teams. That's cool. Um, and so this is um, Lisa May, who you may just recall was sitting here, and that's her service team, her um, HR service center team. Yeah. <laughs> um, this um, number has updated as well. So there are actually 38 teams that reached um, the 100% participation. So again, just making sure we highlight those teams um, so that they are aware that we really truly appreciate the effort that they put into completing the survey. And I just add that um, Shemaine's team has done an excellent job here. Uh, recently we had um, an employee engagement event which we, do, we did at the baseball last year. We're probably not going to be able to yeah. do it this coming year. They were able to give us some free tickets following that and so a number of managers will go to a box at a maze game in recognition of getting 100% participation for their teams. Mm -hmm. And departments who've got 100%, their staff will all be able to go to a game as well. Mm -hmm. So again, we're just recognizing the fact they participated. We want to hear your voice. We want to be clear that we want to hear what you have to say. It's important to us. The, the rate of response is lower than we would like, but quite frankly, I expected it to be lower. We just did a score survey, which is a, a workplace survey that's from the quality department. Uh, we were in the middle of a financial issue that the employees, you know, causes some level of disengagement, either mm -hmm. um, either disengagement or some anger. So some people are going to respond, but a lot of people simply refuse mm -hmm. to participate when those things are going on. And we're in the middle of Epic uh, or Sapphire. And so we expected it to be lower because of the timing. So I'm pleased we got to 50. We wanted 70%. Um, but it's better than I thought it would be based on everything else that's been going on in the environment around it. And, and you're starting to analyze this data. Yeah. You're starting to look at what Cor the results correct. are. So we'll that's hear about the results. That's right. Yes. Next. Yes, you will. Okay. Yes. Um, and so on the other side of the employee relations piece, we also go out and we make sure um, we do a lot of training with our, with our leaders. Uh, and so this year we worked on diversity and inclusion. And we did, uh, we started out with doing sessions at each campus. There were more than one session at each campus. And as we're going through the training, we realized a lot of folks were saying, oh, wait, I've already completed this through Leadership Academy. So hmm. we started allowing people to not have to attend ours again, of course. Um, and so our completion rate was 72%. However, I believe through, through Lisa's team and Leadership Academy, she captured way more, of course, than we did. Mm -hmm. So many of our folks went through it twice. Not a bad thing to go through twice. Um, but so we completed that at 72%. And our labor and employee relations training, we are, we are working with the managers and, in, and helping them, give them more tools to be able to manage their staff better, complete paperwork better. 
Um, and so it's a change for them, and so we're going through trainings. We have completed 60% so far of the leaders, and we have another four sessions to go. So they are um, enjoying the training and asking for more. <laughs> and so where they're requesting more, we'll go out and do more. Um, that is a partnership with Athena Buenseco with the labor relations team, and actually um, David Abella, actually, he joins us as well for that training. So it's a nice united front, and they get a chance to ask all of us questions at, and get the appropriate responses at that moment. I just, this is a reflection of the evolution that we went through, and I've talked to you before about the service center, Lisa Marie, is operating the business partners pulling apart labor and employee relations. So that labor relations is, in fact, negotiations, contract enforcement, mm -hmm. uh, impact bargaining. Employee relations is not the same. Mm -hmm. And we viewed everything, uh, I would say, when I got here and for some time, through the lens of labor relations. Every policy belonged to labor relations. Mm -hmm. And when I review them still, we're in transition as we've moved them out to the various functions. If you had a problem, you went to labor relations. Most problems are not labor relations issues. They're employee relations issues mm -hmm. or just questions. And we want to push them to the right resource and not to a, a grievance process that, that's not relevant to the issue the employee has. And so it's important um, for, to, for one for us to have Shemaine and for her team to be out there advocating and helping managers do a better job of doing their job, mm -hmm. which is to manage their staff. Mm -hmm. When an employee has a question, you don't look for someone else, you ask the employee what's wrong and you try and solve it for them. Mm -hmm. It's not a grievance, it's not something to be afraid of. And sometimes you can lean into the discomfort and tell the employee, knock it off, go back to work, or ask the employee what's wrong, how, what can I do to help, depending upon the circumstances. It doesn't need labor relations, it doesn't need anyone from HR or anyone else. It requires you to be a manager and empathetic to your employees' needs. Mm -hmm. And that, for us, that was important to pull those two things apart, labor from employee relations, so that we're now being very clear with the manager, you own this. It belongs to you, they're your employees, we're here to help, but they belong to you. Labor relations is there for a completely different function. It's a complicated, um, in many regards, a legal function that needs to sit here so we do a more effective job of that and allow you as managers to do a more effective job of your work as well. And this function has really helped us evolve that. And so I'm looking at the box top. So is this employee health and wellness? This is coming under, um, there's no employee relations it's uh, just a HR business partners. It's the HR business. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they deal with employee relations. And, okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think I've been with the board now five years, I think. Yeah. Um, what percent of your employees, your staff, in your department yeah. are brand new? Mm -hmm. So I would say uh, that's a great question. I'd have to run a number on that. Well, I'm but, just so let me look at this. Yeah, look like, at it. I would look at it in an alternative way. Only now. Um, since we hired um, Sheila, is everyone someone that either I hired or I had a role oh, in hiring? Okay. okay. And some of now they are hiring their staffs. Some of which, yeah. some many of which will be the same, but some of which change. And so, just like any organization, it slowly becomes your organization as you hire the people that align with your thought processes and what it is you're trying to achieve yeah. and your approach. Yeah. And Jeanette did an excellent job. She, I know very well what existed before she got here and the work that she did. But I'm not her, just as much as she's not me, and I'm trying to build what I think is right for the organization now. And to do that, I have to hire people who I think will deliver on that 
and that's what I've been able to do, and now that will take us in the direction that we're going now. So they're transitioning a number of their employees too. I'm just saying this is really transformative work because mm -hmm. it wasn't like this before, and I'm just yeah. trying to acknowledge and appreciate how many new people you brought yeah. to create this new sort of vision for HR. Mm -hmm. It's a nice system. Yeah. Exactly, and, and, and that's what my point about the yeah. box stops too. I mean, it really is very clear, and I hope it's clear to employees as well as the board, but um, that where to go and, and how to how to learn better, how to find information, how to um, identify opportunities in your department, whereas before it might not have been quite so yeah. distinctive. And, it, and, and that's, uh, it's not just here, that's cultural change. So some people are going running towards this because this is what they wanted all along, and some people we having to take, drag it, kicking and screaming. They because still call that one person. They, they still want to go. They still want to they still, they still go and hand you a piece of work and say, "What can you fix this for me?" And the answer is no. I can show you how to fix it. But you sit there and I'll advise you so that next time you're able to do it yourself. And that's really uh, Highland. I think is the hardest. Uh, actually, hmm. the, other, the the facilities we acquired, it's easier. Uh, Highland is the hardest because it had the most deeply embedded culture, and that's always the most difficult to change. Uh, and I think that's where we, we've got the most work to do, um, and that's where these guys are spending most of their time helping people transition to this new way of doing things. And next up is Athena. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Shemaine. Good evening, everyone. My name is Athena Buenconsejo, and I'm the Director of Labor Relations. And I guess I will just jump into what we have been up to. Um, the first thing you'll see here is rebalancing and realignment. Unfortunately, we are in a season of layoffs. But the good news is that by meeting and conferring with the union over a period of 30 days or 45 days, we've been able to um, identify vacancies and uh, repurpose individuals into new positions where they are both eligible and qualified for the position. So um, that, in turn, has led to um, the appropriate staffing, staffing that meets the operational needs of the organization. How do I go forward? Uh, All right, okay. Uh, training. So we've been doing some training over in labor relations in conjunction with the HR business partner and legal. Um, the first one that we rolled out was Skelly hearings. Initially, we had identified some um, opportunities and gaps when it came to Skelly hearings. Um, the first one was that Skelly officers did not really understand what the scope of their responsibility was. And the second one, there was an uh, inefficiency. So when it came to scheduling the Skelly hearings, um, we would be negotiating with the union over a date, and because employees are actually paid during the Skelly waiting period, mm -hmm. that does cost us money. So we've um, streamlined it so it just happens every first Tuesday and last Thursday of the month, and this way, you know, we're able to close the gap on um, having employees sit out in limbo. 
Um, then we also did some labor management engagement, performance management, and efficient contract administration. So we did a road show with the supervisors and managers across the system and taught them how to fish, so to speak, how to engage with your employees, um, how to, how to uh, manage your workforce effectively. So if there are gaps and employees are not meeting expectations, what is the proper process to take them through? How is it that we can inform them and help them meet our expectations? and what does that um, progressive discipline look like? And I think it was very helpful for the managers. Is that also part of this, the training that we just talked about, the supervisor? Um, yes. So uh, Shemaine talked about how many managers we actually were able to touch, so to speak. Um, this is the content of that training. And then efficient contract administration. Um, a lot of our managers are afraid to open up that contract. So we you know, walk them through some of the things that come up a lot, like schedule changes, rebids, what is the process for a layoff, and so they have a better understanding of that. Um, and then the last piece is um, model contract language. Um, it's one slide, but it has been a lot of work for myself and my staff to look at these contracts and all the inefficiencies, the confusion, the lack of clarity that's in there. So what we've done is come up with model contract language, especially when it comes to the grievance process. We want to make sure that employees' grievances get heard in a timely fashion, and so we've come up with model language on a process for that. Um, also, of discipline, what does that look like? Leaves of absence. Um, it's not so much just for our employees, but also our managers. Our managers need to be able to look at the contract and know what their obligations are vis-a-vis -vis the employees. Um, so the next part is to sit down with the union and get them to um, understand why we're making these changes and hear what adjustments they might want to make to these language amendments. <coughs> just, um, where, where do you come up with model contract language? Is there a is there an industry standard that you like? Is it from past experience? Um, so it's all of that. We meet with our supervisors and men, or we have a bargaining team, and we go through the contract in detail. And a lot of times, the contract doesn't actually lay out the process. So, for example, a layoff. What should be the notice period? Um, if we don't hear back from the union, what then happens? And so. Uh, the contract might lay out concepts. Mm -hmm. What we want to do is lay out the details so mm -hmm. that managers know step by step what it is that they're supposed to do. Sometimes it's a matter of looking at another organization like the University of California. Um, they have some good language and sometimes they don't. Um, so we look at their language, incorporate it where it's appropriate, um, or come up with our own model that works for us. And this is going on right now? Yes. Yeah. And this is, I imagine where there's some angst. Yes. Well, exactly. The model language, uh, model contract language is, is great for efficiency, but doesn't that require that you open almost every provision in the contract when you're negotiating? So that has led to that. So I think you've heard um, the term, the management team is gutting our contract. So yes, we are making changes, but we are required to negotiate with the union. So um, it's a long process, but we've been having robust dialogue explaining to the union why we need this language. Why was the previously leaves of absence article, which was only two pages, now 30 pages? Well, because leaves of absence is very complex. And we've had problems there. And so by 
laying yeah. out what, how do I inform my manager that I need a leave of absence? Um, does the manager know when to return the employee back? What are the requirements? <coughs> do I need a doctor's note? Um, what happens if that time lapses? And so we're laying that all into the contract so it's accessible to the employee and the manager. I would say Jen principal Mike's done much more of this and so is the thing than I have. Ambiguity is great to get a settlement. It is terrible. <laughs> it is terrible at the point of implementation. Yeah. Yeah. For, in particular for the managers. Particularly, you know, you've been in a negotiation six months, nine months, in, in some instances here, 12, 14 months. Mm -hmm. right? Everyone gets tired and you want an agreement. Mm -hmm. That clearly has happened over multiple iterative processes and negotiations. So you get a very ambiguous contract and unless the person negotiated every single one of those contracts and the union didn't change any of their employees in terms of their business agents, nobody knows what the intent was, but everyone wants to say that they do. Mm -hmm. And you're left with this attempt to work your way through it, and our managers are left hand right, and so are the employees, by the inconsistency of the way the managers interpret the contract, which leads to high grievance rates and an inability to effectively process them. Clarity allows everyone to know what's on the table, and you have to go through the painful process of negotiating, but it is what we have to go through to negotiate and get to an agreement on both sides that then will allow clarity. The, the UAPD contract, for example, took us a long time, and once we were done, we didn't sign off on the contract until we'd signed off on every paragraph and every line in the contract on both sides. And that took several months after we'd finished negotiating. There is no doubt what every line in that contract means for all parties now. And so the number of grievances is almost zero. Mm -hmm. The disagreements about the contract have vanished mm -hmm. because everyone understands it and everyone knows what it's intended to be. And then if we step out of line, the employee can grieve it, so they should, and it will follow an appropriate process. And Tony, are you, in essence, training the managers once the agreement is signed, are you training them on how to interpret it so that they can follow it with the employees? I mean, what, what does that look like? Absolutely. So we don't have an agreement yet on any of our five open contracts okay. at this point, but mm. absolutely I intend and my staff intends to put together a PowerPoint presentation and do a traveling roadshow up and down the system so that everyone receives the same information and they are all aware of what changes took place. Do we do anything to put that kind of information on our employee intranet to just make it accessible? I'm, I'm just asking that because I would imagine for an employee who's just trying to get their own understanding of what these contracts mean for them, is there a way for them to do that? Well, we do post the actual contracts on the intranet okay. so that employees can access it. Um, what we don't want to do is post an interpretation or our training on it because... Or our positioning right. Okay. The union usually does yeah. that on their end. But it's a public document. It's a public right. document. The contract is a public document. We can't document. negotiate in public, so we couldn't say well, this is where... But I mean, yeah, your union can share done. openers right. or, or you know, uh, what the goals and objectives are. But right, but my, my point is I, I'm just trying to understand if the employee wants to look at the contract, there is a there way is. to do that. Yep. Yes. Not the interpretation of it or all the notes around it. No, just the plain just language. Just the plain contract. Mm -hmm. All right. Yes. And, and they can always go to their union rep and that's the person, person to talk to them about what the union's position on any right. part of the contract okay. is. Because at times we will disagree okay. and that's okay. Yeah. 
that they're entitled to it, as are we, to take our position on something. Mm -hmm. And it is for them and the union to determine what that is, not for us to say what it should be. Well, consequently, is, yeah. the, is the union posting some version of the contract that we're, no. you know, that we don't see? No. No, they shouldn't be. It's usually the one that the parties okay. agree okay. to, yeah. Do you have any questions? And do we, no. <laughs> I assume you require all the managers to read the new contracts? Requiring versus forcing is very different things. <laughs> I, re I require my children to do very many things, and some of them they do, and some of them they don't do. Fair enough. So could I ask, it's just a timing question. So you're looking at all these contracts, you're looking at language that just is obsolete or, or, or vague or ambigu uh, ambiguous. When, at what point do you share with the union that you're doing that, like, do you do that prior to the negotiation? Like, it, does it make sense before a contract is open, and I'm not sure which big ones are coming up, to say, hey, you know, there's, we're, we're, we're looking to do a rewrite for everyone's benefit. You know, be prepared, brave, don't, you know, don't, don't think of this as a gutting or tearing up, you know, uh, you know or, or a takeaway. This is really a, a, a reset. Um, mm -hmm. like, can, we, can we have those, are we having those dialogues months before the contracts are open? Well, we don't have it away from the bargaining table. It's essential that we have that conversation at the bargaining table. But what we do in advance of the contract expiration is meet with the union, mm -hmm. give them our initial proposals, and actually painstakingly go through each article and explain why the current practice isn't working. At the bargaining table. At the bargaining right. table. But I guess what I'm saying is, can you telegraph to them, I just used the Del Vecchio word, um, uh, that you're that this is coming, like that it's like not a specific, but that right. this is a, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, almost I, I, I understand it's a process, the, not the, a detail. But that the answer is, there are, we've talked, we actually had a discussion about it earlier this week about the upcoming contracts. I think it's difficult and each union responds differently to that sort of approach. So 10, even five, seven years ago here it was different. Two, two people could have gone and had a conversation about the contract would have been settled, but nothing in the contract would have changed, but they would have, been, right. they would have gone through the process over three or four weeks and that right. could have been done. So it's just, you know, we hear, yes. you know. And yeah. an example I think is CNA. I mean, if there's two contracts with CNA that are being negotiated, they're probably at two different sites, they're probably quite different. Mm -hmm. I mean, because they were negotiated initially 30 or 50 years ago, and they've evolved in right. like a tree. So now right. we want to share that these, because they're both part of the system, we want the contracts right. to be similar so that training, or for, for efficiency. Right. Efficiency. In, in the right. end, you want everyone to be paid right. as close to identical right. as right. possible for the same work with the same benefits. And to be promoted to at the same correct. rate and to be given leave at the same rate. Right. And, right. But it sounds it sounds really ideal, but then you go there and you have to review every provision, and it must take a tremendous amount of resources. I, I mean, of course, we've heard this from labor, but it's taken a tremendous amount of resources for your staff as well to negotiate every provision in every open contract. And to give you an indication, that's why we wouldn't do it if we didn't think it was really important. I, I think. To, to go back to the board's position, current members and past members, is we want to be a system and we want yeah. to systemize. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there are some things we can't do. We got the legislation passed so they didn't get a SARA in those two facilities. There are some things we can do. What we can do is negotiate language that looks as close to identical in all the contracts. We can certainly propose it. 
the union has the right to negotiate it. Correct. Our goal is to bring alignment wherever possible. This is one of the areas we're trying to drive to alignment. And Tony, wouldn't it be the or Athena, wouldn't it be the case that most organizations across the country are having to think this way as well? I mean, it just seems like there's a lot of history around these around these contracts, right? So I don't know how far behind we are, but do you have a perspective? In I think a lot of it is circumstance. We have 19 contracts, whereas most organizations that are much bigger than us don't even have half of that. Um, but, you know, while presenting um, lots of changes to a contract has been a culture shock to the unions, I have to say that we have been having some really good, robust dialogue, and I think they see, understand what the issues are, and um, they have been, you know, agreeing to some things that were previously not in the contract, so to a whole new process. I think it's just a matter of having that dialogue, and we have been. Yeah, it, it just seems like we're... Um, modernizing our language absolutely um, yeah. out of maybe years of not being able to do so so yeah. hopefully well it's to more your consistent. earlier point yeah and to Joe's point that it, it, as long as that was shared early and often then hopefully that can yeah. it can help it to happen without a lot of because that's what they say when they show up for public comment that oh it's this great rewrite I'm kidding yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's, it's difficult when you're attached, when you've been a 40-year employee and you were involved in all of the negotiations in the past. Yeah. And if you come from Almeida, where, and I think I've mentioned before, I talked to Phyllis, who was the head of HR there, they had nothing for seven years, so they gave them language. Right. The language is not reflective of the needs of the organization or, of, in my opinion, of the employees. And so you're left with this document that was made out of circumstances in a financially strapped institution trying to stay alive without giving the employees any salary increases. And that's, you tie yourself in it's knots that way. It's called a trade-off. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and the, the trade-off for that is us now trying to manage that in a financially financially difficult situation and get it aligned with something that we can make some use of for the employees. At the end of this, there are employees. They happen to be represented by a union, and I've talked to unions in private about that, and I said, you may not like me saying that, the primary relationship is between the employee and their manager. That's it. They happen to be your member, and you represent them, and I respect that every single time. But they work for this company. They're our responsibility, and we have to do things that are in their interest and the interest of the company to stay financially viable so we can continue to employ them. And I respect the fact they are union members, and we'll negotiate with you in good faith every time, but we've got to get something that can work for us as an organization. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we, we will struggle to survive. Well, thank you, and it's Thanks great to know. hear that we're progressing, and so at our next yeah. meeting, yeah. which is not for a few months, it'll be good to hear that some are you, additional... Everybody signed. Are you, are you close on any of the agreements? Close to what? Close to... Let's talk about that in the session. Everything's closer than it was a week ago. Okay. Okay. Is what I can say with right. confidence. Okay. Uh, well, that can and as long as we're not yeah. close to any um, unfair or any... You know, Okay, if you don't want to tell us, we'll No, no, that's, that's right. That's just curiosity. It's all relative. It's all relative. Okay, well, that concludes my presentation. Thank you, Thank you very much. And it is 6.30, yes. Um, so but we have we'll, another report. Which yeah, we'll, we'll pick up the pace a little bit. Sure. No, that was really helpful. And we did have a lot of questions and a lot of... Sorry. I, I think it was good to hear that. For me, it was. Yeah, indeed. Good.
Thank okay, you. Good. Yeah, me too. Terry, why don't you introduce yourself? It's the right one. This one? This one? Oh, that's it. There we go. Hi. 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 My name, my name is Terry Dixon. I'm the Director of Employee Health and Wellness. And in that area, I have Employee Health, which I oversee at this current time, and then Disability Management, which is Greg and his team, which is Workers' Comp and Leave Management, and then Employee Wellness, which is Gina. I will be speaking to you twice because Gina is getting married this weekend, oh, and so she yay. is not here, so she left me with her slides. So I'll try to make it brief and kind of go through these, and if you have any questions, just go ahead and stop me, and I'll be glad to answer them. So Employee Health Services for Alameda Health System, we have two Employee Health Offices. One's located here at Highland, and the other one is located at Fairmont, and we provide services to all of our AHS locations. We provide health screening um, regarding our new hires, uh, TB surveillance, respiratory surveillance, our immunization program, our flu program. Um, one of the things that's not on the slide that I can definitely say is, is a great thing that we've done over the last three years, which Tony spoke to, is that we're 100% compliant when it comes to TB and with uh, respiratory fit testing, which is annual requirements, and every time we have a survey, those are two of the want, two of three that they always ask about. Where are you with TB, where are you at with flu, and where are you at with respiratory fit testing? Um, and he also mentioned the fact that if people are not compliant, um, they're given a certain number of days to complete it, and if they're not completing it within that certain time frame, it's considered a voluntary resignation. So that has been a change and a shift for the last few years, but people are on board. Okay, so one of the things I wanted to speak to is regarding flu and um, where our position is and where we've come over the last year or so. So just kind of give you a basic back background. The CDC estimates there's 42.9 million people who get sick with the flu every year. It brings about 647,000 people that are hospitalized. That was in the 2018-2019 flu season. And of that number, 61,000 people died. So flu is, um, is very serious. Healthcare um, professionals have a way in which they can decrease the amount of transmission. So one of the things that I, we brought to the table for um, this past fiscal year is looking at certain things that we can do. I won't read through this. You can read through it um, at your leisure given the time constraints. But we did focus on what we call the 2020 Healthy People um, Initiative. And we had joint commission here at Highland, I want to say a year ago, and their question was, what are you doing to meet the Healthy People 2020? So they're going to be here next year, and I'm, hopefully we'll be able to report that we have done something about that. So as we proceed, so Healthy People 2020 initi initiative is 90% vaccination rate for all California hospitals. Um, CDPH puts out where hospitals are rating compared to other hospitals and I've included the information on where the hospitals that we have to report on, acute care hospitals, Alameda, Fairmont, um, Highland and San Leandro and as you can see from the information here, Alameda and San Leandro were not tracking well to get to that 90% mm -hmm. and it didn't include our medical staff. And that was one of the areas that we had an issue when it came to Joint Commission is that our medical staff contracted medical staff were not participating like they should, or we weren't collecting the data or making it mandatory. So this year we engaged with medical staff and with leadership and we increased the participation for this past flu season. With that being said, medical staff went from 57% participation to 89% participation. 57% vaccination to 87% vaccination. Again, it's that 90% vaccination rate that we're looking for. 
Real quick as a summary of where we were last um, flu season, 2017-2018, compared to this one that we just finished, and we're getting ready to roll into another one as I prepare next month. Seems like I'm always dealing with flu. But real quick, the first two bars kind of show where we were past flu season and now where we are at. Um, Fairmont including yeah. what's that? Fairmont. Fairmont does pretty good, and that's Fairmont Acute yeah. Rehab. So we have to make sure we we say that very few fitness physicians are there. But if you look at rate goes up with a lower number of physicians. But if you look at Highland, Highland has done extremely well. Ninety-seven percent participation, eighty-nine percent vaccination, and so the last two. So participation means that you have to either get the flu shot or you decline it. If you decline it for Alameda County, you have to wear a mask. Alameda County has also extended the mask um, mandate to through the month of April, and it's generally because we have a late flu season in California. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that has helped with the numbers and with the vaccination rate, which is the number of people that actually get the flu vaccine, is that we management has reinforced the masking mandate. If people feel as though they can get away with not wearing it, then they don't wear it, they don't get a flu shot. But again, they're increasing the risk of our patients who are at high risk, that if they get sick, they might do fine, but patients recovering, it's a whole different story. So this just kind of shows a trend on where we are going this past flu season, and I'm hoping that these numbers are gonna look the same, if not, any, if not better, that we reach that 90% vaccination rate. So our goal is again- Is there again, a HIPAA um, issue with the, asking or determining who's vaccinated? No. So what we do for, um, for employees who got the flu shot, we just have a flu sticker. I know some organizations actually have a sticker that says flu on it and it brings too much attention. If a patient is really kind of focused there, um, they might wonder why you got the flu shot and someone didn't. But the mask, of course, says I'm here to protect you. There could be medical reasons why someone can't get a flu shot, not necessarily because they're declining it. So there's still a way of protecting the patients. Um, one of the other things that we're going to focus on is, um, excuse me, um, the implementation of handling uh, hazardous drugs for our healthcare setting, and that's supposed to be implemented by December 1st. Our pharmacy department owns that, but there's a piece that we have to do with medical surveillance and um, going through with our employees that handle like chemo agents to make sure there's certain things that are in place that protect them. So there's things that we have to do from the employee health perspective. And then we'll be partnering with ambulatory care in the management of our post-exposures and follow-up services. And I said that extremely fast. Do you have any questions? All right. Greg, you're next. Oh, well, I'm going to do that after Greg, yeah. Good evening. Just up here. Hello? Okay. So this is myself and my team, Alicia Reed and John Dixon. We've been together for about 10 years now. It's gone quickly. (laughs) So... I wanted to focus on a system-wide goal that we had in workers' compensation over this past fiscal year. We were really pushing for a 5% reduction in workers' comp claims. We did really well, actually. The, this, the actual data that was too late for publication shows that we were 27% reduction for, wow. the, for the year. Mm-hmm. 
we went from 316 claims to 230. So I, I wish it said 27 percent, but it's the, uh, I knew we made the five at the time we needed to get the presentation in, but I wanted to highlight that today. And uh, in addition, the folks at Beta Healthcare, who we've worked with since August of 2017, have been an excellent partner for us. And I just wanted to highlight one other bit of data that jumped out at me today. Our overall reserves have dropped close to $4 million from r roughly 15 million to 11 million in that, sh in that short amount of time. So they're doing an excellent job in helping us manage manage claims. They're doing a, they've been a really good partner for us. Um, Greg, you mentioned 2017, but we've had beta longer than that, right? For different purposes. Okay, so this is for work, workers' comp. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, just the workers' comp division has been with us since August of 2017. Thanks. And what I wanted to highlight is a particular claim type that I think we've done really well with based on some programs we've implemented. So, so patient handling claims, if you look at the trend there, it's a steady trend downward over the past three fiscal years. And what does that attribute to? And I, I just wanted to highlight a few things. Uh, we had a vendor by the name of Atlas Lift Tech that came through our mm -hmm. hospitals and helped us do lift training with all of our nursing and CNAs, and it's it's really showed in the in the uh, patient handling claim results. Also, we really spent some time implementing a, a patient safe patient handling policy that is now in effect. It took a number of years and somebody to really drive it home, and and I think uh, we're we're in a good spot with that policy now. But I just wanted to highlight the data for this particular type of claim. And so the numbers on those are the, the costs that those are the the numbers the, at the bottom the two million yeah so that's the that's the toll incurred um, that's so that's the liability on our okay. books yeah okay. a couple other highlights for this past fiscal year we continue to have a pretty aggressive preventative ergonomics program uh, 385 evaluations performed. Uh, in the calendar year of 2018 and really reducing cumulative trauma types of claims as well. Uh, we've developed this monthly meeting model with what I call frequent flyer departments that uh, utilize the employees that utilize our workers' comp program and our leave program quite often. We, we sit down monthly and go over those claims. Uh, really helps to engage the managers in that process. Uh, quarterly claims reviews with beta have have been very helpful. We've been really consistent about keeping that on a quarterly basis so we can really look at the more complex and litigated claims and strategize how we're going to handle those. Uh, and we did revamp our injury and illness prevention plan, which you guys approved in January. And um, that is available to all employees on the intranet. So for 2020, I just wanted to highlight what's what's coming up in workers' comp. Beta is helping us develop a service plan to continue our mitigation efforts around workers' comp claims. Um, safe patient handling will continue. Atlas Lift Tech 
did a train the trainer for us. I'm going to take what they did with us for train the trainer and uh, and go forward with it. Ergonomics, they Beta really would like to take a more deeper dive into how we're doing it and being more proactive. I think we've been a little bit on the reactive side in terms of how we're doing ergonomics. Workplace violence prevention, as, as we all know, is a Cal-OSHA requirement. Uh, we're going to take a closer look as to how we're doing with those particular types of claims and really importantly how we're training our staff around workplace violence prevention. And Terry and I have been talking about this expanding who we're meeting with monthly because there are a few other departments that are we're noticing that are outliers that we really need to start meeting with in the in the upcoming fiscal year. Do you review when you mentioned earlier um, you look at at work at workers comp claims of course but do you look at just absence like ongoing does your department look at ongoing um, departments that have high rates of absenteeism or sick leave or whatever? Well, we also that's a good point. We also look at our any employee that is on leave of some type. So we have various leave types. Um, it could be a personal leave. It could be FMLA strictly leave, or it might be creeping beyond that, that 12 weeks of FMLA. So yeah. we're we look at who's ever out in that department for, for either leave or workers' comp and review next steps and what we can do and what we cannot do from a legal standpoint. So do you bring people back on light duty? We do. We actually uh -huh. on both uh -huh. on both sides of the fence, so for uh -huh. workers' comp and if they have a medical issue that uh -huh. requires modified duty, we, we do uh -huh. that as well. And do you do you do any kind of safety awards or any kind of celebrations for departments that don't have any? Uh, you know, it's a it's funny. I've heard varying opinions about that. Mm -hmm. I, I I think uh, it might be something we want to look at. But but I think um, sometimes um, it's not always a positive thing yeah. for a department. So but somebody who has a legitimate yeah. claim but would. Right. We all want to do is drive yeah. down the reporting. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 You know, our uh, workers' comp insurance rates and, you know, beta provided reinsurance to us, you know, and so that covers, you know, the bulk of the cost of these things. It's typically a, a function of the payroll and then a rate which is applied to the payroll, that rate being tied to what the loss experience has been over the, the, the prior year. So our payroll increased, you know, between last year and this coming year by 5%, you know, from about $436 million to about $487 million. So that would typically lead to a price increase. Mm -hmm. uh, but our rate was dropped, uh, the rate that we're charged by beta was dropped as a result of the programs that, you know, uh, Greg is talking about and, and I think some of the cultural change things that, you know, Terry was referring to. So, and so despite the fact that we had that big increase in the payroll, our actual premium for the coming year dropped by 
about a couple of hundred thousand dollars. In addition, we also received a return dividend, mm -hmm. uh, which increased by about 10% from beta as mm -hmm. well, too. So the overall cost of workers' comp insurance decreased or significantly you know, over the past you know, year. Not to mention the fact that because we also have workers' comp with beta now, the overall dividend, we also receive another dividend from beta um, for a multi-line <coughs> program. Uh, and that's actually substantial because a big portion of that comes with our professional liability insurance, which is a much bigger you know, cost. Mm -hmm. so. so the program is not only leading to less time loss, but it's actually you know, a real you know, cash savings. And as Greg pointed out, you know, the reduction in the, re, uh, the need to reserve basically is $4 million back in the income statement. So. And uh, do you charge the same rate to all departments or do you it based on the, on the risk? So some self-insured organizations. We don't charge to the departments. Mm -hmm. yeah, we're yeah. It's not charged to the department. Just allocated on, 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 at the end of the year based on cost. Right. Okay, thank you. Okay, any other questions? Thank you. Am I back on? Uh, we'll hang out for wellness. Yeah, no, Gina's. Wait, she's not here. She's not here, so um, I'm going to try my best to deliver her slides in the way that she would, but I will also talk fast. So if you have well, any her questions, slides let are me really know. pretty straightforward. Yeah, they I mean, are. a lot of description about the programs. I, I want to know how I can get the Mind app. Well, you can download that. Download it. Oh, you can download it. Space mobile app. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I consider our wellness program the softer side of HR, like the softer side of Sears. I was playing that with my mind earlier. But Gina has done a phenomenal job. And just real quick, as you can see, the program offerings, there's several things that she's offered. She's a one-man show, I will say, one person. And she delivers all of these services and does all the coordination for all of our employees. So we have gym discounts. We have fitness classes at our hospital, acupuncture, chiropractic. Um, nutrition classes, Healthy Me, the Mind app. She's done a phenomenal job in bringing a lot of different services to our um, employee population base. I'll hit on a couple of things because I think they're the big items that everyone seems to enjoy. The Pause Now bus. It's a meditation bus and the lady actually brings it to the various sites. In fact, they're going to be at Fairmont tomorrow. And you actually go in these pods and you put headphones on and it takes you through 15 minutes of meditation. Mm -hmm. And as you can see in one of those pictures, you're there. And Del Vecchio is there. So they've actually, did you participate or were you just taking a picture? I, I was preparing for a board meeting. Okay, well that's all right. <laughs> so at least you're being honest. So, um, so those are two things, one big thing that she's bringing. And she's also looking at possibly bringing that to departments like the ED. Because we had a fair and she was able to bring it inside. So versus people having to walk outside to a van bring it to the department because as you know nursing I'm a nurse so it's a very stressful environment and people can decompress and find something to just take 15 minutes away that's one way of doing it for the health and well-being of our employee population base headspace you can download it's a mobile app our employees do it for free I think they've downloaded uh, 500 employees so far okay um, she also partnered with Dr. Crum, and, um, who's out of Stanford and a PhD student, and brought in Mindset Plus, which is, um, if I'm going to explain this, I'm going to try to do my best, but it's a way of getting the providers and the team 
to work with the patients to provide positive outcomes. So for example, if someone has a chronic illness um, and you tell them that their illness is not going to be controlled, it's how you present things, it's how you position it, so hopefully you have better positive in, um, outcomes with your patients. So that person spent three hours at Hayward and went through the whole staff and did the training and of course they said that was awesome. Leadership that's Academy. That's yes. That. The outcome is also improved for the provider. Which yes. It's not purely a patient tool. It's a tool to help the, the provider, provider feel empowered and reduce the level of burnout because the focus is on improvement and not, mm -hmm. I, I can't serve this person. It's focused on what can we do as opposed to what can't be done. And it's a, a minds, mindset, mindset shift. Yes. Um, the other thing that she's participated in is Leadership Academy where she will go in and she will do a presentation and um, bring again another part of wellness to that particular, our, our um, managers and supervisors. Uh, she does departmental support. She'll go into a department and she'll do a presentation on stress, stress reduction and exercise and various things again to bring some fun but also some creativity and a different way of uh, doing your meetings. Uh, Strive Well, we've already talked about that. That's the vendor she uses, that they bring certain classes to various site locations. She's done a great job in nutrition. She's done um, classes on nutrition. There's the Farm Fresh to You program that she's put in place as well. Um, we did our annual wellness fair, and we partnered with the benefits department. And again, here's the um, meditation part where they brought it inside. Mm. The, the part in the middle, she actually brought puppies in, puppy therapy. I, I'm that's holding so cool. the dog right there. See, that's, that's <laughs> me. Yeah, that's me. She bring those to the board meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't tempt us. We'll, we'll bring one. Um, but it was phenomenal because these dogs are all special dogs, and some of them actually were adopted. No, they weren't large dogs. Some of them were. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was thinking forward to a board meeting in the future. Oh, yeah, we can do that. We can bring the dogs. But the great thing about this service is that some of the dogs were adopted. And a lot of them were abused, and somebody actually rescues them. So it was pet therapy for the staff, but also the dogs also got a home. The cool thing about the bike is actually make a smoothie. So you get on, you do a little exercise, and you make yourself a smoothie. It was a great event and um, well attended. So Wait, her goals, it blends this, there's a blender on the back, <laughs> and you're pedaling, and like I said, the softer side of HR. Um, and then, of course, her goals for 2020 is to increase visibility of wellness and to do more, and she's also mentioned something about mental health. So looking forward to great things coming from Gina. She's getting married on, Sa on Saturday, so that's going to be awesome for her. Hopefully I did her justice with her slides. Do. Huh? Does she have a cake now? I'm not too sure what she's going to have. Maybe a, a Jamba Juice. Oh, okay. Maybe she's bringing puppies to the wedding. I would she probably will. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Hi, I'm, welcome, Jessica. Thank you. I'm Jessica Pitt, the director of the Health Path Program, and I know I'm between you and dinner, so I'm going to go very quickly. Um, so, uh, I went the wrong way, I think. Okay. So, uh, Health Path was launched in 2015 with a large $10 million grant from the Atlantic Philanthropies, a private foundation. Um, and Health Path runs a range of different career exploration, work experience, internship, and volunteer programs here at Alameda Health System. 
primarily focused on underrepresented youth and young adults. Um, and there are really three goals. We want to create the future pipeline of workers for AHS. We want to make sure we have a diverse pipeline of workers. Um, and we're also really trying to advance some of our population health goals around providing education and employment to community members um, in Alameda County. So Health Path is not a singular program. It's a continuum of different programs, or about eight different programs. Some of them are sort of owned and run by Alameda Health System, but some of them are actually run by nonprofit organizations that are using an AHL, AHS facility to provide an internship or internships or work-based learning experiences. Um, I'm going to talk um, a little bit about the Health Excellence and Academic Leadership because that's our largest and most significant program. And that's a program that provides internship experiences to uh, youth in Oakland. Um, very much focused on uh, underrepresented youth coming from some of our more low-income communities. Um, since 2015, um, we have had 816 young people in the Enroll in the Heal mm -hmm. program, and our enrollment That's has awesome. increased by over 180% um, since we launched uh, Health Path in 2015. So just to give you a sense of the makeup of the students in our program, overwhelmingly female, 70% female, 30% male. Particularly at those younger ages, there's a sense that healthcare jobs are women's work, and we're really trying to shift that um, with, by doing a lot of outreach and recruitment to young men, and particularly young men of color, to try to attract them into the healthcare field. Um, I want to take a quick look. This uh, slide is a comparison of the ethnic diversity of our patient population, our AHS workforce, and our HEAL participant population. And what you can see is that our HEAL participant population very closely mirrors our patient population, which is what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. We want a culturally competent workforce that reflects the uh, communities mm -hmm. we serve. Um, and hopefully, we'll move the bar on some of the AHS diversity. Mm -hmm. Um, percentages. So just a couple of really quick highlights. Um, and it seems like it really, they really represent the diversity of Oakland as well. Yes. Very yeah, closely. Exactly. Yeah, Oakland is shifting. There's far more Latino community right. yeah, than would, ever yeah. before. I would yeah. say that when you look at our community, it, typical set, what you typically do when you're looking at um, diversity, you look at whatever the census data is. The census data is countywide. We were pretty close to the census data. That doesn't reflect Oakland, though. This is our largest site, but then we have slides at Almeida, which will be overwhelmingly Caucasian, mm -hmm. and San Leandro, which would be Actually, a different. Actually, it's more Asian. Yeah, it would be different, a different makeup as well. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so when you start to look at that, this much, this program much more reflects this mm. community that surrounds this facility than some of the broader, wider community uh, of the entire county when you include the hills and go out to Orinda and those areas. And, and are the HEAL students just here or are they at all sites in the system? Uh, right now they're um, at three sites. We have them here at Highland, at San Leandro, and East Mont Wellness. We have other internship programs that are part of Health Path that are at Alameda right. Hospital, yeah, our FACES program. about the data, it, just, just a little bit more texture on that. Um, Latinos are the larger component of the gen of millennials and the next generation. And so you're going to see quite a bit more in that age cohort because mm -hmm. of that bubble. Mm -hmm. So I think as a whole, our median age is like 29. 
the median age for whites is 47. So you're going to just have much more yeah. of that demographic yeah. in the younger population. And it is super important that we do what we are doing because if we're going to have future workforce, it's going to come from that demographic yeah. group. Absolutely. So, yeah. Great. Uh, I want to share just a few highlights of the program. Across all of the different health path programs, we've had over 800 individuals who have participated in them just in the 2018-19 school year. Um, I want to uh, say just a few words about our volunteer program. We had 408 volunteers across four campuses um, last fiscal year, um, and that was about 50,000 volunteer hours. Um, and Part of what I've really tried to do with our volunteer program, particularly here at Highland, because it skews on the young side, and about 68% of the volunteers here at Highland are actually students, so they're obviously doing this as a way to gain experience, build resume, um, is to really try to build in some more intentional sort of career development right. opportunities into our volunteer program. And the volunteer student, especially in high school, they're doing it so they can get their volunteer. Right. Um, our volunteer program is that you have to be 18 years oh, or okay. older. So these are mostly college students or graduate students who are here to gain experience. I wonder um, if there are some programs or requirements for community service in some college uh, most of them want to get experience in healthcare. They're either from, mostly from this community in the vacations and want to do something in healthcare. And this, we give them exposure because if you look at our meeting at San or smaller hospitals, they typically have an auxiliary. Mm -hmm. Our volunteers right. have nothing like that. Right. They're predominantly young college students who are interested in career in healthcare. So this is an opportunity for us. Uh, and then um, I just wanted to say a word about our new simulation center that was funded with $3 million of the Health Path grant. Um, we're just over a year old. It's been phenomenally successful. And um, since it started, which was in April of 2018, we've had 2,671 AHS staff and Health Path students who have done a simulation. Some of them are not some of them are repeats, but it gives you a sense of the volume, and I have a lot more data on the SimLab usage if you're interested in that. I, 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 as part of my orientation, mm -hmm. I had an opportunity to visit it, and I, I recommend you all do it. I mean, it's mm -hmm. fascinating. Yeah. As uh, Madigans that talk back to you. And, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and while I was there, there was a group of high school kids that were going through and, and uh, trying to solve problems with clients, and it, it was very impressive. Um, and finally, um, we've had some recognition this past year. Alameda Health System got uh, an Employer Champion Award from the Link Learning Alliance, which is a statewide association of educators and employers who are really trying to promote career technical education and career education. Um, and then we, and then AHS, not just Health Path, received an award from an or national organization called Career Stat, which is a group of health systems from across the country who are really investing in their pipeline programs and their frontline workers. And so that really reflects not just the programs of Health Path, but of our entire HR department and talent management department. Um, and so we received an Emerging Employer Champion Award from them just this last month. Can so, you, to that point, can you um, comment or, or think of, just off the top, how many how many um, health pass students who complete the program come back to work here? I mean, 
we hope to be able to track that. Um, we're such a young program. Many of our students are just going off to college right, right now. Right. So um, we have some anecdotes of students who went through um, our Health Career Connection, which is a summer internship program for college students who have mm -hmm. actually gotten hired by AHS. Um, and there are some heels students from sort of prior to the launch of Health Path when we had when we had a small internship program who now work here, but it's really anecdotal at this point. Okay, but I so hope to have that data. So that's something that you could be looking for. In, yeah. Mm. But but as I recall, you have a broader goal of just encouraging people to get into health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The health. Right. Yeah. We work here it's great, but that's just a bonus. Mm -hmm. We work somewhere in healthcare, then that's the outcome we're looking for. Well, thank you, Jessica. Yeah. I, my last question, isn't there, was there just, or is there an upcoming graduation? Tomorrow night. Oh. Yes, 6.30 in the cafeteria. Okay. And how many students will be? Um, that will be 28 students, and that's our five-week summer intensive program. Great. Cool. Great. Well, I'm going to try and make it. It's after final. That's great. Thank yeah, you. Please thank stop you. in. We'll be right. just down the hall. Thank you. Um, Tony, now it's 7 o'clock, and I'll, I'll note that um, uh, we approved our meeting, minute, meeting minutes from our last meeting, which went till 7.03, and, yeah. and um, we can certainly go through the exit interview data, which I think is really very critical mm -hmm. to... Well, I put it there for you to look through. I think it was, the, we deliberately didn't put it in the slide so you could just review it. If you have questions about it, I can ask them, or you can consider it and feel free to send me questions on it and we can build that out into the next presentation so that you've got some time to think about it and we can build something that's useful to you to talk about. I think that would be good. I'll, I'll input from the other committee members. I actually looked at it and I, me too. Um, you know, of course I had um, just, the, the numbers are, are pretty, pretty interesting. So mm -hmm. would you want to talk about it now or could we make this the first item for our next meeting? Um, uh, two things. I, I think that this set of data should be talked about once we have more context from the employee engagement survey, mm -hmm. um, because I think that that may help us interpret some of the outcomes that we're seeing. Um, yeah. And then before we go, I do have one other comment in general about what we've heard tonight, but I, I really do appreciate the data. I okay. think that this is very helpful. And I do think it's worth a more robust right. discussion, and mm -hmm. I would just put it in the context of the Good. engagement. Perfect. We can do that. Yeah. Okay. And was that, did you have something else? I do. Um, I, I just want to comment out loud. This was a really impressive summary of the transformation of HR for AHS, and I really appreciate that. And I want to acknowledge everyone that's here that represents the wonderful department. Yeah. Thank, Thank you so much. Um, I do want to just remind everyone that one of the things that I have really harped on in the five years that I have been here is about making sure we're looking at health equity, diversity and inclusion, and those efforts that we're making to try and build a culture of inclusion here. And so I'm really <coughs> impressed that there were a lot of comments about diversity and inclusion efforts that we've received some recognition. I still will pursue with Del Vecchio the need to have a specific person assigned to that role because I believe that this issue of health equity 
is done by a combination of efforts. It's in HR, but it's also in quality and improvement and patient experience. And we need someone that's going to have that ability to look at it from that angle. So as much as I appreciate everything that was done to really acknowledge this as an important factor in the work that you're doing, I still feel the need to champion that. And I just want to be very respectful and say thank you. And there's more to be done to support the work that you're doing. Thank you. Well, thank you, Maria. I, I agree. And I think um, to that point, you know, it, it, it's it, it's being done across the organization, but we really need to see we need a summary or we need an executive, you know. And I, I, and I think that uh, Delvecchio is presenting yeah. a dashboard to you at the yeah. next, either at the board meeting or the retreat, and there'll be follow-up on that that will right. ideally is showing some of that work across the system. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, does anyone have any comments? I move to and adjourn. I will Second accept that. that motion to adjourn. And I wonder, uh, in, in adjourning, I wonder if maybe we should we should allow for two hours for our meetings since it seems as though I think we need it. Yeah. yeah. If, if, okay. if, That's fine. if committee members and um, staff are in agreement, then um, I'll yeah. send out a note and just if this time works, five to seven, or if maybe we could meet a little earlier and adjourn a little earlier, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to Tony and, and come up with some options. Okay. Thanks.